Hard Hard Parking brought to you by Right Honda and Right Toyota of Scottsdale, Arizona. I am your host, Jay Finning. As promised, coming up on today's episode, we have Mr. Zach Johnson, professional baseball player. Spent a little time on the phone with him while he was visiting family up in Canada. At this point, he is already back in Germany getting ready for probably the next season because he plays professional sports over there. A little different conversation. This is something that's been in the works for a long time. Got to get in front of this and just let you guys know that our phone connection was terrible. While I enjoyed the conversation, I hated the connection. But I encourage you guys to listen all the way through because he's a very inspirational story. He's just, he's a gift. His mindset and outlook on things are kind of refreshing. You hear how he's kind of kept his head up, you know, among all the little setbacks that he's had in his life and many of us have in our lives. Barrett Jackson just wrapped up this weekend. So hopefully in the next episode we can talk about a little bit as well as I just spent some time in a 2014 BMW M6. New sponsor to announce in the next episode as well. That sponsor threw me the keys to said M6. So excited about that. So right after this four-wheel online spot, check out Mr. Zach Johnson. Jay Finning here, and I want to tell you guys about four-wheel online. For over a decade, four-wheel online has been bringing the best truck accessories and truck parts to enhance the appearance and performance of all trucks and SUVs. They are dedicated to providing an extensive range of upgrades that will match any maker model on the road. Their truck products cover everything you need to give your truck a custom look and added functionality. And if you need a tire and wheel package, head over and use the configuration tool. They carry all the major brands of wheels and tires, so we'll get outfitted today. So visit them online at 4 Online or call them at 813-769-2451. Again, that's 4Wheel Online, the number 4 Wheel Online. Time for the social media highlight of the week brought to you by the Cell Shop in Arizona based retailer that strives to be your destination of choice for wireless services. Visit them at cellshop.us at C E L L S H O P.us. Zach Johnson, it's been a while. Professional baseball player, podcast friend. What's up, man? Yeah, at first, I mean, appreciate having me on. I know we kind of, you know, talked about it in, uh, in a few different instances of getting it together and just uh, various scheduling conflicts or just life things that kind of popped up. So uh, definitely happy to be here. And like you said, kind of over the, it's crazy to say, but almost the, the two years kind of been communicating and knowing each other. It's been awesome to get to know you and kind of build a bit of a relationship and a rapport in, in different ways for sure. So it's awesome. Thank you for having me on. That's a very nice way of saying, Jay, you keep dropping the ball and putting me on the back burner. So I appreciate you for that. But that's, <laughs> that wasn't the case. <laughs> no, I, I'll take the onus on it for sure. I, I uh, you know, again, I mean, obviously goes both ways, I guess, but uh, no, I, I definitely have had a lot of stuff as a lot of people have over the, uh, you know, the transparency of the last couple of years. And uh, yeah, just is what it is, but Hey, you know, everything kind of works out in divine time. So happy to be here when I'm, uh, when I'm able to. So speaking of the last couple of years, the, the pandemic era, and I've talked about, you know, I used to, I would mention your name and Brian's name and people are very familiar with Wes Tankersley because we do the One Drink Wednesday, which you had recently jumped in with us on a One Drink Wednesday, mm-hmm. which was an awesome surprise to us. But, you know, this pandemic era was supposed to be over in 20, in 21. And here we are in early stages of 22. And, you know, one of the biggest differences that I tell people is, you know, the rest of the world is not doing what we're doing some people are a lot more strict. Some people aren't strict at all. You've been over in Germany. 
for two years now. I mean, you're in, you know, we're, we're recording and you're in, in uh, Canada right now, but how long mm-hmm. have you been over in Germany with your current stint? Consistently since uh, 2019, I've been in Germany. So just, uh, yeah, about two and a bit years that I've been, uh, been back there for sure. When you go back from after having this conversation, do you have to quarantine or what are they doing now that they weren't doing before? Or is everything just as... Yeah. So originally, you know, coming back, I, I got back into North America, into Canada on uh, mid-December. So I got back uh, December 13th. I was originally supposed to be here until the 8th of February. Um, but like you said, just a, a changing, ever-changing flow of how things are. Um, I'm headed back actually this weekend. So I fly back on Saturday. Um, and it's kind of, it's a bit to do with the lockdowns, but it's also a bit to do with the regulations and also with how things are starting to tighten up here and things like that. So, um, when I did leave originally, there was no quarantine, uh, if, when I did go back and, uh, you know, obviously keeping an eye on it, my wife is keeping an eye on it as well. And, uh, it's kind of developed over the past month that I've been here. And it's to the point now that when I go back, I have to quarantine for 10 days and then I have to take a test after 10 days. And then, uh, if I'm, I'm free and clear, then I'm, I'm out of quarantine. And if not, then I have to do another four days and kind of see where things are at. So, um, as far as flying internationally too, on the way here, it's the same way as going back. You just have to do a PCR test before you have to, you know, make sure you have all your documentation in the, you know, the medical record and the arrival app. So, you know, in Canada, it's called arrive can it's a you know, Canadian arrival app. And then Germany has a very similar instance where you just have to log your stuff. And then they do a little bit of uh, contact tracing in the sense that who's picking you up or how are you getting to your location when you're at your location? Can you quarantine in a, you know, in a zone where you're not going to be in contact. So I had to fill out those forms both ways coming here. And then when I'm going back, I have to fill the same thing out. So it's kind of similar um, between Canada and, and Germany a little bit. Uh, I can't speak to the United States because I, I haven't traveled into the United States in a while. But um, as far as the contact tracing and stuff like that, I think it's pretty across the board um, similar in that way. So it's not too, too extensive. Uh, what's interesting is British Columbia has its own regulations, the same as most of the states have their own regulations down south. And, um, I was, you know, I was really looking forward to coming back and being able to go help out with some of the, the high school baseball program and, you know, being able to help out with some of the youth development stuff that I, uh, had done previously when I'd come back. And this time, you know, right, I think it was two or three days after I got back, they completely shut all that down. So that kind of squandered some of my, you know, plans for the time that I was back to. And interestingly enough, over in, in Germany, obviously in a, you know, uh, modulated capacity. There's uh, training in the the gyms and fitness studios and stuff like that are open. Whereas here, right now, like all that kind of stuff is shut down. So it is a little bit different that way. But it, I mean, it's just uh, kind of the regulations and things that we're all kind of dealing with as we're laboring through these, like you said, crazy to say, but uh, past couple of years, two years, right? I mean, Canada's been pretty hardcore, so that's, that's really not much of a surprise, especially with mm-hmm. you know this Omicron and everything. It's just so. Give us a professional highlight here because I have a lot of questions around baseball and I'm, I love sports. I haven't talked sports much on this show, but this is kind of an opportunity, I guess, to kind of fill both, both of those voids. So tell us a little about baseball. Well, I, I think for myself, what, uh, you know, has kind of been the biggest blessing or, uh, you know, kind of, uh, stroke of luck, so to say that I've had with it is for a lot of people, you know, there's, there's one Avenue, right. It's, it's viewed as like, Kate, hey, you know, as a, as an athlete, you have that one direction, you know, whether you're playing football or hockey or basketball or even baseball, it's like, Hey, 
you're going to the, one of the big four professional sports in North America. And I was no different, you know, I mean, that was, you know, that was the main goal. And, you know, obviously that was kind of the, the end game for a lot of people like that's like, Hey, that's my main goal to go. And I think along the way, it's really easy to lose um, pace or lose sight or, you know, just various different things. And I think for myself being able to have the opportunity to, you know, travel the world essentially with it being paid for or facilitated by playing a game has been one of the best things. And a lot of people, I just whether by, you know, networking or knowing or just, uh, you know, being open to it, uh, kind of close themselves off to that. And I, you know, I, I think one of the biggest things for myself is just kind of being open to that. I've been able to see the world, you know, I played in, played in seven different countries and, you know, I've traveled around and seen quite a few different places, you know, I've, I've seen different parts of the world and been able to do it. So I think for me, the, the sport narrative in North America is very heavily based around, you know, the core four, which rightfully so. I mean, those are the ones that are, you know, the major ones that have the marketing and the, you know, the big money sponsorships and the backings and things like that. But it, it kind of, um, you know, the opportunities that do lie with a lot of sports around the world in various different ways are, are pretty incredible. And, it, you know, I just uh, very fortunate to be, be a part of that and be able to continue to play the game and get paid and be able to do it. So I think for myself, that's kind of the biggest thing with ball. With regard to professional baseball, so, you know, I'm in the States and I think a lot of us see professional baseball as just major league baseball. We don't, I mean, we, we, we know that some of the best players come from around the world, but in America, that is the peak is, is MLB viewed as the peak globally as well? It's uh, I mean, the perplexity of it is, you know, pretty deep. So I think one of the biggest things that gets missed and again, you know, if you're involved in it, you know, you see it, but if not, then, you know, again, the main marketing is just like you said, directed towards. And so what's really crazy is to get to that top level, each one of those, um, you know, teams or organizations has at minimum five teams underneath them. Some have more, some have affiliate teams located in South America uh, whether it's in the Dominican or not so much in Venezuela anymore, just due to economic turmoil. But um, quite a few, you know, had a lot of development programs in Venezuela, had a lot of development programs in the Dominican or in Puerto Rico or, uh, you know, different parts of uh, Mexico and things like that. And so what's really interesting is, like you said, I mean, you know, you see it. And, uh, you know, for myself, I can honestly say as a kid, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, you just you go to baseball, you go to college or, you know, you get drafted to high school and you go and play. And then, you know, it, the reality hits where it's, you know, it is quite a bit different. There is quite a bit of levels um, within those organizations. And then on top of that, there's independent baseball. So teams that aren't directly affiliated with any of the big MLB organizations are considered independent. And what's pretty wild about independent baseball is there are a lot of very, very talented players in those ranks that are either former affiliate players you know, with one of those organizations or guys that, you know, maybe played at a smaller school and get an opportunity that are just really talented. And a lot of guys do jump back and forth in between things. But oftentimes it just comes down to, you know, right place, right time. In some instances, it's kind of changing with social media and, you know, the way that the narrative is kind of going towards data analytics and things like that. But it is really interesting. There's a lot of different avenues. And then even within that, you know, there's different levels. So, you know, there's independent, kind of the top echelon of independent compared to the lower levels of independent is quite a bit different. And then, you know, the same thing in Europe, it's, uh, Europe baseball is, 
you know, not really viewed the same way. And I, I think for a large majority of people, you know, possibly even listening to this, probably don't even know that there is professional baseball in Europe. And, uh, you know, so for example, like you said, played in Germany this last year, I played in, uh, what's called the, the first Bundesliga, which is like the first league. And then under that, you know, there's four other tiers. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of depth. And so for, to be able to play at the first tier in any league or country is, is pretty tough. And, um, you know, obviously as you get more towards the MLB, you're, you know, you're at the very top of the talent and things like that. And one thing I think for a lot of, you know, for a lot of people, it is viewed as like, yeah, okay, well, you know, if your talents are enough, you're going to go. The biggest thing is, I mean, you look how many high school players play every year and then how many of those guys or girls don't go on to play college athletics. Right. And then from there, you know, just that number gets smaller and smaller. So, I look at it in a very different way than I, I used to foundationally just because I've seen it, you know, firsthand up and close. So I, I think for a lot of us Americans, the thought might be, and I'm not talking to you like you're not an American, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. the thought might be, well, if you're a professional baseball player, you play major league baseball, you play the, the Astros, but that's not necessarily the case. And that's kind of where I was getting with that because you can make a very good living doing what you do, but how much, like, do you have to, you call come up against that a lot in your life. You had to have at this point, like, okay, I, I play professional ball. Oh, who do you play for the Padres? You're like, well, no, I play for this team over here. And you know, how, mm. how often does that come up? And it's, is it frustrating at times? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess probably the easiest way to put it in their perspective would be, you know, if, if you're somebody that works for a fortune 500 company, most people know those names, right? Because they're a global brand. The same thing as the MLB is a global brand, right? Like if you, you know, as you said, the Padres, Astros, Yankees, Red Sox, those names are household names. So they are pretty predominant in the world. Um, but underlying underneath that, as you and I know, right, in the, you know, the, the tech spaces and things like that, there are a lot of really valuable companies that have amazing employees that a lot of people don't know those, those names. So that's kind of the easiest way to put it, you know, that way is, it's easy to get frustrated the same way as if you're in a startup or if you're in a smaller company that maybe, uh, you know, doesn't get the recognition or anything like that, but you're still a valuable asset to, you know, the economy or the, the tech space or whatever. So, um, I have played with a few guys that have got pretty frustrated about it. I kind of, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that it didn't frustrate me because obviously when you're younger, things trigger you a little bit differently, but as a kind of, you know, uh, wavered through the space and played in different places and things. It's, it's really easy to kind of get annoyed or, you know, whatever about it. But I, I look at it like this. I mean, you know, it's an amazing opportunity. I get an opportunity to play a game and receive compensation for it. And, you know, if I was doing it just to chase the the recognition or the, the fame, then I was probably in it for the wrong reasons anyway. So, um, you know, again, one of the things that you and I have talked about, or even just with uh, Brian and Wes as well too, is, try to be as humble as possible. Cause I realize how quickly, you know, it can kind of be taken away from me. So by me getting frustrated at somebody else or not knowing really isn't doing myself justice. Right. Yeah. And you, and you, and you mentioned doing it for the wrong reasons, but I would imagine you've come across a fair number of people. Um, how long have you been in this game? Uh, so I signed my first contract 2014. So it'd be uh, eight years. It'd eight be years. Coming up on eight years total. Yeah. And then if you include the, if you include the winter summer scheduling, so it would be what my thirteenth season because I played uh, you know winter ball and things like that. So if you include those as seasons as well, so so you had to have come across 
an abundance of people who were just doing it for, for, for the end goal of wanting to make the money or in your circuit, in those levels, I hate to categorize it, but we did say MLB was kind of the pinnacle in your mm-hmm. levels. While mm-hmm. you can make a very good living, are there people you had to have come across people that just want it for the bread, or maybe you've worked with people that you, or have you had teammates that made it to the top and that's all they keep talking about is getting back there because of that instead of like feel like they've kind of lost the love of the game because baseball is a very sacred thing. It's so sacred. It's nauseating to a lot of us, all these unwritten rules of baseball. Right. But the sanctity Mm -hmm. of the game, have you come across that where someone may have lost it and that's all they talk about and you're like, dude, you don't get it. Um, yeah, definitely. So, but I think what's really interesting is those guys get weeded out pretty quick because it is such a humbling game and, you know, at various levels, depending on where you're at, you know, it is, you are doing it for the love of it. You're not doing it for the money. And again, sometimes, I mean, for any of us, right? Like somebody that puts up with, you know, uh, an over an overbearing boss or somebody that puts up with various different situations. Cause they're like, Hey, if I grind it out, I'm going to be able to move up the ladder. It's kind of the same in that way. As far as kind of playing or facing against anybody that is kind of really like that, it, most of the time, those are the guys, like I said, they kind of get weeded out pretty quick. Yeah. A lot of guys in college, right? I mean, I, I just look at, you know, my college experience. There's quite a few guys that are like, oh, I'm going to, you know, become a baseball, you know, professional baseball player and I'm going to make so much money. I'm going to have the supermodel wife and I'm going to drive a Ferrari and, you know, I'm in all of it, which again, I mean, that is the picture that's kind of painted, right? But, right. Yep. The harsh reality is for that to happen, you're going to have to start at the bottom because the second you play profession, the second you sign a professional baseball contract, whether you are a first overall pat, you know, first overall pick or an undrafted free agent or whatever in the rung of professional baseball, you start from the very beginning. I mean, that's why, you know, guys are considered rookies. They're considered sophomore. They're considered, you know, a third or fourth or, you know, guys that get, you know, six, seven years underneath them, they start to be considered veterans. And so you're starting from, you know, the lowest rung again. And to start on the lowest rung, you get humbled a lot, you know, whether it's by the veteran guys or by coaches or just by learning, because it is a major learning curve. You know, the, the processes that you go through in college. I mean, for example, you know, going to junior college or, you know, even guys going to big D ones or D twos or things like that, everything is planned out and scheduled for you, right? Because they're, they're investing in you to be successful for life, not just for baseball. And so again, some of the programs are aimed at, you know, more heavily towards baseball, but at the same point, you're scheduled as a team to be in the weight room at five 30 in the morning or six or whatever it is. And, you know, you have practice every day from a specific time to a specific time. And when you're there, it is structured and not that there isn't that structure within professional baseball, but you also have a lot of downtime. And so a lot of guys that don't have that, you know, work ethic or drive to be able to continue doing it because they enjoy doing it. Those are guys that get weaned out pretty quick because they, you know, they stop working out as much and then maybe they lose a step or they lose, you know, that the ability to fling the fastball a little bit harder or swing harder or make hard contact or even, you know, throw or whatever. And it's those little things. And so those guys get weeded out pretty quickly because you don't have somebody constantly telling you, you know, you need to be at the, the weight room or, you know, you need to be eating a certain time or eating a certain way because the thing is, is there's so many other people waiting in the wings that, if you don't take care of that stuff yourself, 
there's so many people coming off the conveyor belt behind you yearly that are coming out of college, coming out of high school, coming out of different places that are going to challenge you that, you know, kind of have to take responsibility. So in a way, right, you're, you're an entertainer, being a professional athlete, you are, you're an entertainer. And so, you know, you're dealing with various different elements of trying to entertain people. And the minute you lose your value in that, they're going to get rid of you. And so I think that's a really humbling thing too. I've seen lots of guys that, you know, I, I can very humbly say that I knew that were more talented than me, not even make it close to what I've been able to get to because they just didn't have the, you know, the work ethic or whatever they thought they could just rest on their laurels. And again, I mean, it's different with any industry, but particularly in baseball or any other professional sport, it does happen quite often. And like you said, it is such a sacred game that all it takes is one kind of slight against your reputation, against your name, against, you know, kind of whatever is going on. And, uh, it uh, it will follow you around for quite a while. You know who Kenny Powers is? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so as you're talking, I'm thinking about how many Kenny Powers do you get to play against? You know, guys that are just from the pros and just full full themselves. They just they keep fucking their shit up. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's funny. So it's a team game. Mm-hmm, but absolutely. I is there a team game that's as lonely as baseball? Um, I I, I mean. Obviously, at the professional level, I can only speak to the baseball element. But right. what's, what's uh, you know, again, I think what's really interesting, right, is, as you said, it is, a, it is a team sport. But a major dynamic of that is it is a lot of isolation, right? If you look at, you look at baseball in the way of the game is based around that one-on-one battle of the pitcher versus the hitter. Of course, the defense is behind the pitcher, and of course, he has other guys in the lineup. But that that the instantaneous, you know, main revolve around baseball is very one v one, and so there's a lot of isolation in that. I mean, you can be very successful as a team and have a couple guys struggling. Again, you can't have too many guys struggling because you right. do have to have, you know, for example, if you have a, you know, your leadoff hitter, your three four hitter, and your six hitter doing well because of how baseball flows, those guys can help carry the team. Whereas morality and, you know, again, it's so tough because everything, and as you said, it's, it's such a traditionalist game in that way that numbers are so finite, right? Like you can't, you can't skew those. So an example of that is, you know, I I look at basketball, you know, there's a lot of uncategorized things that happen in basketball or in hockey that are, so important to the game, you know, guy that's really good at moving the floor. That's not a stat that shows up, right? He's really good at moving the defense around because he gets his guy chasing him around or in hockey, you know, for example, a guy that's really good at setting a pick or setting a screen for, you know, the defensive player to come down off the wing. Those are intangibles that a lot of things happen. Whereas baseball is very finite, right? Like if you're on defense and the ball is hit into your quadrant of where you're playing, you either catch the ball, you receive the ball on the ground, you throw it to a person. Like there's not a whole lot of room for, you know, intangibles, right? Like when, so if you ever hear, if anybody listening to this ever hears uh, a baseball coach or baseball player talk about intangibles, they're talking about those little things that they see at practice, but it's not emulated in a game. And when it comes down to the professional side, a lot of it comes down to the numbers game. Of course, there are going to be some guys that are going to be around because of the intangible stuff, but the majority of it is very finite. You know, if you look at how we view 
the MLB because, uh, like you said, kind of use that as the you know the flagship for the the conversation. If you look at how you view the MLB players, it's like okay, well, this guy strikes out a lot, but he you know gets a lot of hits or. Um, you know, when he does get hits, there's guys on base or different things like that. Those are stats and that's just there, right? But he might be an amazing locker room guy. That's why he's sticking around, but fans can't see that. But oftentimes, because it is such a traditionalist game, it's like, hey, well, he's not, you know, he's not hitting well. You know, he's not hitting well in certain situations, so he's going to hit the bench. And then once you hit the bench, it's such a mental game that, you know, if you're not on top of your mental side, it can spy, I mean, for anybody, you know, again, but just talking to the baseball um, you know, the, the mental stuff can spiral out of control pretty quick. And then it does feel even more lonely, right? Like if you're, if you're a guy that's struggling and you're, you know, the other guys around you, or maybe the guy that is pushing for your position or a guy that maybe you platoon with, cause that happens a lot now in baseball where you kind of have a guy that platoons cause he hits really well against guys that throw a certain way. And then the other guy hits well against. So what yeah. does that mean? What does that mean to platoon with someone? So essentially let's just say you and I are both outfielders. You know, we both have the flexibility to play the corner outfields. We play left or right field. And you're a left-handed hitter, for example, and I'm a right-handed hitter. Maybe you see right-handed pitchers that throw from a certain arm angle because there's a lot of different arm angles and release points with baseball. Not to get too technical, but just to kind of explain it a little bit more. Um, a lot of different you know, release points or arm angles. And so if you're a guy that hits well against certain pitchers that throw from a certain release point, you'll play when those guys are pitching against us or we're facing mm. a team that's very heavily loaded with those. Right. And then adversely, I would play together. Or, you know, say you're playing a, a park or a, a field that is pretty big in the outfield and I'm faster than you are, they're going to put me in there because I'm going to be able to cover more ground. Or, you know, if it's more of a hitter's park and you're a better hitter, they're going to put you in the lineup. So that's kind of what it is, is like you're splitting time, essentially. I guess that would be the easier way to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. You've been doing this for professionally since 2014. Mm-hmm. You've had a few setbacks. Yeah. On injuries, right? Like, so, I mean, this is, mm-hmm. I, I think for most professional athletes, this is all they really want to do. And if they don't, they fizzle out real quick. So yeah. when you think that your livelihood and all you want to do is potentially threatened, or there's probably been times, I think when we met, you had, you were on your way back and you re-injured or got injured and you, I mean, it kind of put you in a dark place. Like what, what goes through your mind when something like that happens and how do you stay motivated? Uh, well, I think, you know, it kind of just, uh, to really just kind of peel back the layers of the onion. I think, um, you know, anytime somebody's an entertainer and they have a certain asset that is their, you know, their main, um, you know, kind of their main thing, you know, if you look at vocalists or singers, I mean, their thing, if they can't, you know, if they can't sing they're it's not that they're useless as human beings, but in that field, they're, they're not valuable anymore. So I think for baseball players, um, you know, some of the biggest injuries come to knees or to, you know, shoulders and, uh, I had reconstructive shoulder surgery before my baseball or before my professional career even started. And, um, throwing shoulder. That was really tough. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I went through, you know, some, like you said, went through a pretty dark place because the thing is, is, you know, again, for the large majority of us, especially males, um, you know, when we're in our late teens, early twenties, we're indestructible. Right. And so, we push ourselves maybe we don't take care of ourselves the, the way that maybe we should, or, you know, people around us are trying to suggest. And 
And, um, you know, our bodies break down in different ways. And I had, uh, yeah, quite a bit of issues with my arm. And then I ended up having to have complete reconstruction done. And it was really tough because I went from, you know, having a lot of amazing prospects and uh, came to a screaming halt. And so for myself, that was the first time I ever really went through any major setbacks. Like you go through, you know, minor setbacks, whether it's, uh, you know, a sprained ankle or, uh, you know, different things like that. But those are usually one that, you know, maybe knocks out for a game or depending on where your threshold of different things are, it might not even knock you out. Right. And, um, it just, yeah, that was tough. And so it kind of put me into a different place. So the, what you were talking about is when we first connected, I had uh, ACL surgery and, um, it was kind of tough because it was right before the season started. And then obviously you, you know, you compile in COVID and you compile in all the different, you know, narrative and the variables that are going on in the world. And, and, uh, yeah, it was kind of tough. And, and so, you know, again, I, I've said it to you before and, uh, I've said it to Wes and to Brian. I mean, I, you know, one of the biggest things was, is I kind of really dove into, you know, having you guys and you guys are a huge support network for that. So I have to thank you again. And, you know, thanks to the other guys for helping me with that a lot too, because yeah, I mean, like you said, it's so um, it's, it's really easy to go into a dark place if, uh, you know, you don't have a major support network and it's not that you don't have the support network of teammates or friends or things like that. But again, it, you know, they have to focus on their, you know, their health and their game and stuff. And so it's not like they mean to leave you behind, but it can feel that way. And so by having a you know support network and good group of uh, people around you and, everything, it helps out a lot. And so I was able to get through it. I think, um, going through that, you know, well, 10 years ago now, uh, with my shoulder and, uh, being able to kind of learn some different avenues of how to deal with things mentally and, uh, you're not being afraid to, you know, kind of admit that something's off and things like that has helped a lot. Cause it, I know a few instances where guys haven't had to deal with a lot of adversity and it happens and it can be real, a lot of things. And so, um, we all deal with it in some aspect in some way, but, um, kind of having, you know, the support network and being able to understand that I was going to be able to come back from it. Yeah. It might not be quite as quick as I maybe was, or I might not be able to explode the same way, but you know, you learn and, and grow in a different way. And I, you know, one of the athletes that I really kind of dove into and I read a lot about, you know, cause he came back from some pretty significant injuries with Kobe and, um, you know, if you read his book, you know, the Mamba mentality, or, you know, you hear different interviews from him. One of the biggest things that he talked about, you know, was in coming back into, again, with a lot of things, but it's mindset, right. And knowing that yeah, you might not be as quick or you might not be as strong or anything, but you can learn in a different way and become better. And I think for myself coming back this season, um, my mindset was totally different and it allowed me to be successful in different ways. Whereas, if I would have came back and just expected to be the same player, I think it would have uh, probably pushed me to the brink of not enjoying it and, you know, not being happy and uh, probably, you know, again, like you said, going probably even deeper into a darker place. So it's important to make sure, remember that you are human first, athlete second, I think. When we met, you had a podcast, the Limitless Possibilities podcast. Mm -hmm. What was the inspiration to that? And did you find that therapeutic? because I don't think you were playing at the time you were rehabbing, you know, yep. yeah, talk to us right. about the podcast. What happened to it? Is it coming back? And then talk about some of the complexities that came along with marrying during the pandemic era as, <laughs> you know, a non-citizen of another country. 
yeah, so a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of stuff to unpack or kind of touch on, but, um, so the podcast for me was kind of something that I'd thought of doing before, but I just, I wasn't sure kind of where to go with it. And, um, there's a, there's a book by Jim Quick, it's called Limitless. And, you know, he kind of talks about, essentially, just to sum it up for anybody that hasn't read it, it, it really dives into mindset. And it was something that I kind of really have been, you know, a big believer in for a long time. And, uh, you know, I just kind of went, you know what, like, this is something I thought about before, but I always kind of had the excuse for myself, well, you're too busy training, or you're too busy, you know, too busy just living life. And I think that's something that happens for a lot of us. And so I kind of just went, you know what, there's no better time than right now. We're all in lockdown with a uh, pandemic in various different ways in different places. Um, you know, I'm not able to go and, you know, train for two, three, four hours a day. I'm, you know, stuck at home. I'm doing rehab at st- rehab stuff at home. Or I'm doing that at physio, but the large majority of my time is being spent at home. And realistically, you know, compounding effect, you know, you continue being, you know, process oriented and things and you know whether it turns into a mega podcast or it just turns into something that people listen to then you know i'm pretty happy with that and so i wasn't really too sure um how it would go and you know i kind of uh did some research and i've always listened to podcasts and so i i had actually been on uh, another podcast they'd asked me to come on and you know i kind of just fielded a bunch of questions and that's always been something that i've never been you know nervous to do and and then I kind of jumped into some podcast groups and it was really funny. Like I, you know, a lot of the concepts that I heard and I'm sure, you know, you can attest to this too. And, you know, again, it, it's not that you're second guessing yourself, but it's, you know, we're looking for that you know, reassurance because it's like you're taking a leap into the different waters that you've never been into. And so for myself, you know, I, I uh, was like, you know, what? screw it. I'm just going to do it. And I threw up the, threw up the trailer and I was like, the second that trailer was up there, I was like, Hey, this is real. I gotta, you know, I gotta do it. And, um, I don't think it was too long after that. I want to say within within a week or two that I would have uh, connected with yourself originally and connected with Wes. And then I'd, I'd Brian wasn't too long after that, that we all kind of started communicating within the various chat groups and things that we were in. And then obviously it became a, a more singular, isolated, uh, you know, with the, with the four, of us, four of us talking and having various different people jump in and out of the groups and stuff. And so for myself, yeah, I, I definitely do think it was therapeutic. But I think the other thing is part of the kind of the belief or I guess kind of part of the, the wanting to start it was I know what opportunities have been open to me by asking questions or by, you know, trying to open my mind to be more open-minded to things, just even with my baseball career. And there's so many people that have amazing stories from around the world and, you know, whether they're in the, you know, a small corner of Iowa or, you know, they're in like yourself and, in uh, Arizona or, you know, for myself being somebody that's traveled around the world, there's, there's so many amazing stories. I think a lot of everybody has their story and everybody's got the opportunity to chase it. And it's really interesting. A lot of people listen to content and consume content, but they won't chase that dream because of the, the unknown. And so I just went, you know what, really possibilities really are limitless. We kind of just have to grow and take the risk sometimes. And uh, so it was kind of like, you know what, I'm going to have people on that have taken risks in various different ways, you know, whether it was moving across the country or starting that business that they've talked about or writing that book or, you know, being a professional athlete, moving to a different country to give themselves better opportunities or chasing, 
you know, chasing a dream and, you know, whether they failed 10 times and got gotten up 11 or they've, uh, you know, been successful to where they're a multimillionaire or, you know, I had a couple different people on that had been very successful, you know, made it to the top of the field and making it to the MLB or making it to various different places. And, you know, I think for all of us, oftentimes we use people as a flagship. And so if you look know, at have a podcast where people are just down to earth, um, you know, people that people, other people can resonate with and kind of be the beacon of light. That was kind of where I started from. Did you find it therapeutic? I, I did. And I also found myself early on, again, you learn as you're doing it, but mm-hmm. early on I was having the conversations to have the conversations. And I, I, I'm sure you'll, you'll know what I mean with that. Absolutely. And then as I got deeper into it, I started finding myself, really believing and learning and, you know, being what I was trying to emulate to everybody else. And it's interesting because, you know, we've talked about this before and uh, you can't go back and re-listen to your original episodes because you'll, you know, you'll, you'll laugh at yourself or, you know, you'll kind of be disgusted at yourself or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever emotion comes up. But, you know, again, you have to start from somewhere. And so um, I think early on it was, uh, you know, very therapeutic. And then later on it became, very um inspirational and uh very eye-opening and also just you know very um very important for myself to you know keep doing it and uh being involved in it and then you know again like you said it uh you know about i would have been what four months into five months into doing the podcast and then you know the the pandemic combining on top of everything else that was going on it was pretty crazy and so um the um Getting married in Europe is is quite a bit different. Uh, myself being Canadian, fortunately, I, it was easier than it would have been if I was coming from somewhere else in the world. But still, a lot of steps to go through. And um, I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, definitely worth it. But uh, a lot of things, a lot of pressure, and then to add on top of it, you know, the pandemic, and there's a lot of things going on. And so, one of the um, you know things that I was involved with was a, a baseball training facility, and. Um, Obviously, that was shut down, and uh, that had barely been hadn't been open for a year, and so the financials on that and everything were a mess, and so that got shut down. And because before getting married, I was living in Germany based on a working visa, and because I wasn't playing baseball because I had my knee, there's a lot of stuff, and so I did have to go through quite a bit of um, you know red tape or whatever you want to say the bureaucratic process to get to that point, and it was a lot of stress. But I found that by you know, doing the interviews and stuff, it kind of helped me get through it because I was like, Hey, you know, like what I'm going through right now is, is tough, but there is a, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel that I'm going to be able to continue to pursue and go after. And so it helped me, honestly, I think by doing this. So ultimately the answer to your question is, yeah, it was ultimately therapeutic, but it was also, it helped me continue to drive forward. And, um, you know, just listening to some of the stories from some of the different athletes or some of the different people that I had on and, you know, some of the injuries that they went through and how they came back from it. And, you know, they learned, and like I said, referencing to reading Kobe's book or, you know, reading Limitless by Jim Quick and, and, uh, you know, or the book that you and Wes joked about last week with the, uh, atomic habits and things like that. I was able to kind of stay on top of, um, you know, the, the mentality. I'm not going to say there wasn't days that I, you know, I felt terrible or, just, you know, I was down on myself and, uh, but, you know, it kind of helped me waver through. And then, you know, I was ultimately able to put myself into a position to be very successful this past season. So it did help me a lot. And then unfortunately due to the way the bubble was with, uh, 
with the baseball season and having to be within the bubble and some of the restrictions that we were under and the time crunches and things like that, that we were under, I just, I had to case the the podcast for a little while and uh, I'm actually going to fire it back up in, in February, uh, start doing interviews again. Cause I, I think not only for myself, but uh, just the, a lot of the stories, it's too valuable to, to not get those out to masses or to the public. So you're home right now at the time we're recording this for mm-hmm. the first time in four years how has yeah. that how has that been um how's the family structure i think um we, we both have had some fun stories of growing up and in issues in and around the house you know how's that return to home been uh well i i, I think it's it's obviously skewed a little bit with, with everything that's going on right um my ability to kind of maybe visit with people or to, you know, see people is varied and different, but it is, it is amazing, right? Like how quickly we can kind of, um, I wouldn't say pivot or change, but we adapt to where we're at. Right. And so I really, you know, I really recognize being back, like the difference in the shopping or the, you know, the distances to go and visit people or different things like that. It's something you don't recognize that growing up here and, whatever, but being removed from it, you see it a lot differently. And so, um, you know, even just the, the night coming home from, you know, Calgary and the airport and driving through the mountain passes and stuff like that, it's just something that, you know, again, it's just different. You know, you're climbing up the, up the mountain pass and then you're coming down through and it's snowing and different elements. So on that side, quite a bit different, um, you know, as far as the reconnecting with family and stuff, I've stayed fairly close with everyone via, you know, FaceTime or Zoom or, you know, whatever various different, uh, media that we've been using to be able to connect and things in that way, but nothing beats being in person. Um, I think the hardest part, right. Is, um, you can see little subtle differences when you're, when you're doing video chat and things like that, but you can really see the the major changes when you're in person. So if you haven't seen somebody for a few months, you can kind of pick up things, but you haven't seen somebody in person for years, you know, it's a, it's a big difference. And so I think for myself, it kind of just putting it into perspective that have changed myself a lot in that time and other people change and adapt and evolve and grow in different ways in, in the years that you've been gone. And so kind of tethering your expectations uh, was something that was really important for me before, um, you know, coming back was just kind of understanding, not putting expectations for things to be a particular way, just kind of meeting everybody where they're at and seeing where things are and not projecting my former beliefs on things or, um, you know, having, uh, overarching expectations on how things were going to be and then missing, um, you know, the ability for just to enjoy it or experience it for what it is. I know that we had talked, there was some kind of strain, some strain relationships there and possibly some good and bad memories about growing up, especially specific to sports. We'll keep it, we'll keep it specific mm-hmm. to sports here. Um, you know, is baseball was, is always kind of an escape for you or something you felt like you were, were forced into or was there any other sports like how did you ultimately decide on baseball and and was everybody always supportive or not supportive well i think again where you grow up is is a huge dictator on uh on various different things and so for myself you know growing up like hockey still to the day i can honestly say i mean hockey is by far my favorite sport i uh you know, I loved it and, you know, I, I just love the essence of the game and the way it flows and just everything about it. And, um, you know, that was kind of my main, I guess uh, that was something that I really, really enjoyed and loved. And 
baseball just happened to be something that I was good at. And, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, at one point diagnosed with a heart condition. I was no longer able to play hockey. And so I really just dove into baseball and, and, um, you know, I, I'm not going to say I didn't work hard because I did, but also didn't maybe work as hard as I could have if I would have been full time in baseball when I was younger. And so that, at that point, when I got diagnosed with that, I decided, okay, well, you know, this is going to be my avenue to get out of, you know, to get out of the, the smaller town. And so for anybody that doesn't know um, where, where Cranbrook is, it's, it's located in the, the Southeast corner of British Columbia. It's right in the, right in the heart of the Canadian Rockies. And it's a, uh, it's a town of about 45,000 people, roughly, give or take. I mean, depending on who you talk to with the consensus and things like that. But to make it easier, just about 45,000 people. And so it's very industrial. Um, you know, a lot of the, the, the region around here is very heavily based on mining or coal, you know, forestry or based on oil or different things like that. And so in communities like that, like blue collar communities, there is a different pressure in a different way. And I think for a lot of people, they don't, um, you know, mean to put exponential pressure on people, but they want to see people succeed. I mean, it's kind of like the old adage, you know, the dad that works at the, you know, works at a mine or whatever. He's like, I don't want my kid to work there. So he pushes them to, you know, I, Mickey Mantle is an example for anybody that knows Mickey Mantle. You know, his dad was a miner and dad pushed him pretty hard to be a baseball player because his dad didn't want him to work in the mines. And so, you know, I think that's kind of a universal thing across the board for any blue collar town where it can't happen like that. And so there, yeah, there was quite a few different, Pressures and particularly what was really interesting is um, early on when, you know, certain people started reading into or seeing that there was maybe, you know, opportunity or talents or different things like that. It, it's really easy to forget that people are the age that they are. And um, with that, you know, with that, it's, uh, you know, instead of just being like, uh, you know, people, whether male, female, or just, uh, you know, just being kids, they're, they're growing up again. I, you know, there is a certain point to where you do have to have some sort of professionalism and everything to carry yourself, but you do still have to be a human and be a kid. And sometimes that can kind of get a loss along the way. And in my uh, own personal situation or in some of the other situations I saw, it comes out in various different ways, right? It's the people wanting to see you be successful, but they, you know, there's pushes in different ways. And sometimes people don't necessarily always see it, but um, you know, it, it, again, it's, it makes you, I, I mean, good, bad, you know, or otherwise it's kind of makes you who you are, but it, it's, um, sometimes, unfortunately, it's not necessarily projected in the right way, but the actual meaning behind what's going on, if that may, I, and, um, yeah, it, it was tough. I mean, I mean, I felt it in a different way in various different aspects because, there was a lot of a lot of intangibles that were connected to it, like smaller town, and when you kind of get a little bit more success, then people are kind of pushing at you. Or you know, I had people that maybe I wouldn't have been friends with. You know, all of a sudden when it was being talked about in various different ways in high school, all of a sudden you know they're trying to be friends with me, or you know, it had different uh, people try to cultivate or create relationships or you know opportunities and things. And I, I was lucky enough to have. Uh, couple of people kind of helped me a little bit with mentorship in that way, but people only know what they know to the point of uh, their knowledge. And so when I kind of got to a point where nobody from my town had kind of ever been in the, in, in that aspect of baseball, lots of, lots of guys have come out here professionally for hockey, but um, the baseball spectrum is quite a bit different. And so I kind of got to a point where I was kind of just trailblazing on my own. And I think that was kind of the point where 
I, you know, to go back to the earlier part of the conversation, a lot of guys that don't want to do it for the passion of it, they kind of fizzle out. That was the point where I had to have a, you know, a really deep, serious conversation with myself. Like, do you really enjoy this or are you just trying to use this as, as we said, an escape? And I was like, no, I, I, you know, I really, I do enjoy it if I can really peel back all the other stuff. And so I was able to push through the injury and, you know, moving to California and being away from home and then, you know, uh, traveling around to different parts of the world and bouncing around to different teams and stuff and, and things like that. So I think that's helped me a lot. I do think again, where you grew up shapes you a lot. And, uh, part of that blue collar mentality definitely, you know, rubbed off onto myself too, or, you know, hardworking and things like that. But as you kind of adapt and evolve to where you are, you know, you kind of grow in a different way. And it's, uh, it's interesting to see like where you start to kind of where you're at. So. Sounds like you appreciate that for your, that gap. You think that's something you and everybody needed? I think so. I also think, you know, again, you know, that what is the old, the old saying that time heals all or, you know, time, time reveals all. Right. And I think also along that line too is, for myself, I think if I hadn't gone through some of the growth, um, you know, and gone through some of the understanding just of who I am and, you know, what I value or different things, it probably wouldn't be the same. So in one way, I think, yeah, absolutely. The the time, the timeline is huge, but I also think a lot of it comes down to like the, the personal growth and development and work and stuff that I've done on myself has been a major player in it too. Cause if I was in the same place that I was when I left and I hadn't done any, you know, introspective work or I hadn't done any, you know, growth or outreach or different things like that. I don't know if the time would have, you know, helped. So you said something earlier and it's, it's so true, but you know, even with this four year gap, right, you still were able, when we have FaceTime, we have internet, we have all this ability to still keep in contact. So it's not like you just went on this four year sabbatical and you come back and all of a sudden your house is grown over with weeds because somebody moved down the street and all this kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. s- still that separation is, is kind of interesting on what it can do for people. We haven't talked to you much since uh, last year. And when I say we, as in our group, you know, how was your 2021? Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I think the easiest way to sum it up would be if anybody's ever been to, uh, you know, been to an amusement park and they've been on the, you know, a roller coaster, a, a roller coaster, really lots of really, really great, uh, you know, ups and, uh, on the way down, it's like, holy, you know, holding on to the, the holy shit handle on the way down and going, Oh my God. But then, you know, as it's going to pass and bound back up, but a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of really great peaks and some different valleys along the way. And, uh, like you know, what? I think overall, like what's your uh, peak? Cause I'm, I'm like that emotionally too. I'm way up and I can be way down. Like what's your peak and when, what, what's your crash? Like when's a crashing moment? What's a peaking moment? If you don't mind sharing. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, um, well, again, I think I kind of categorize it a little bit differently. So I, I kind of compartmentalize, um, you know, how I, how I view things in a couple different ways. I think personally, um, you know, had a pretty consistent year as far as, you know, growth, relationship development, you know, different things like that. Professionally is where I had quite a few different, you know, peaks, uh, you know, coming back successfully from, 
you know, surgery first, first game back from, you know, surgery. I hadn't played baseball and at that point a year and a half or almost, almost two years actually, or no, yeah, sorry. My apologies. A year and a half at that point. And my first at bat, you know, I hit a, hit a home run, you know, well over 400 feet. That was, that's a huge peak, right? Like that's a, okay. Sure. You know, I'm, I can, you know, I'm back and I'm doing it. And then you know, kind of a low professionally, you know, you're grinding it out and, you know, you're putting in the work and you can kind of see just, you know, whether it's COVID or cultural mindset of the team that I was with or whatever, you know, all the work we're doing, we are, we'd won the most team, uh, you know, games up to that point that the, the program had ever done. And, you know, the, the management for whatever reason decided that, well, we're not going to continue to sustain it this way because it's, you know, it's too much uh, pressure on, on them. And, and so all of a sudden it was like, what, you know, we're, we're pushing forward and doing so well. And, and then all of a sudden it was like taking 10 steps back. So that was kind of a low. And I think it's really hard to not let that affect you professionally as well as personally. And so that was, um, you know, that was, that's tough. And I mean, that's part of the game that, you know, talking about the mental game earlier, that is a major part of it that you have to just really sit back and in any aspect of life, but professionally in baseball, you really have to just control what you can control. Cause if you let the management stuff and you let all the, you know, the, the drama and the BS, it, it will eat you alive. And so for myself, it was really hard, especially being the player coach to not get involved in it. If I was just a player, I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't care, like whatever being the coach, you're having these conversations and trying to separate yourself, you know, from the conversations that happened with management as a coach to then go out and play is tough. And, and then, you know, it's also kind of isolating being the coach because as a player, you know, you, you can, you know, have the, have the hot stove sessions that, as they're called in, in, uh, you know, in sports where you kind of sit and you chat with the, the other guys in the team, but because you're the coach, they're not going to talk to you the same way. And so it was, it was pretty, um, it was, a, it was a huge learning experience doing it, but it was really isolating in that way too, because it was like, I couldn't share with management what I was thinking because I'd be pissed because I, you know, uh, told them stuff that they didn't want to hear. And I couldn't share with guys on the team because, you know, I can't share with them what management's talking about it. So it was kind of talk, stuck in the middle where I was kind of like, uh, sure. all right. So that was, I would say that would kind of be the low would be, you know, kind of when we got into that point in the season where it was like, I had conflicting ideals coming at me from both ways. I mean, you know, players are saying, well, what the heck's, why are we not doing this? And then I'm trying to talk to management and they're going, well, we're not doing it. And I can only share so much information from both sides without, you know, selling out on one side or the other. And, uh, so that was kind of, I would, I would say that was pretty, that was a, that was a huge low professionally. And then just, you know, personally, um, you know, I, the narrative of the last couple of years, it's just, I mean, it's hit so many people in different ways. You know, I've had a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, friends or family members have health issues and, uh, you know, different things like that. And I think probably personally, the, you know, the biggest, the high was, uh, you know, being able to uh, spend time with, you know, friends and some guys that I played with previously in the, even though it wasn't a bubble format and then bringing the one year anniversary and, uh, things like that. I mean, the lows probably, I mean, lows are what they are and they come in different ways, but, uh, you know, for myself, it all kind of culminated as it seems to do in, in, uh, various different ways as, you know, as going through that professionally and then personally had some losses, uh, you know, I had, had a friend, friend hit a point where things just weren't, uh, looking up for him and, um, decided that it was time for him to leave. And, 
that was kind of tough for me to deal with in a lot of different ways. I mean, he was, you know, close buddy and roommate and, and, uh, you know, that really hit hard. Um, and I'd say that would probably be the biggest low, honestly, just going through that. I'd culminated on top of the professional low at the same time for 2021. But, um, Although I do look at, you know, 2021 as a huge growth year. And I think for myself, a lot of the habits and, uh, you know, systems and, you know, my, uh, my learning with communicating and not holding on to my feelings innerly and, you know, being okay, being vulnerable and talking about it has helped me majorly look at 22 or 2022 as being, a you know, a year that, you know, again, we're all going to have perfect years because it's not how, you know, the universe or humanity works, but, I do look at 2022 is going to be you know, awesome because of the stuff that I did go through 2021. Well, first off, I'm, I am sorry for your loss of losing an old, old roommate and, and good friend is, and I kind of hinted at this earlier without really specifically pointing it out, but is being a professional baseball player is the biggest misconception that you're just a millionaire like, do people come at you for money? Because, I, I mean, I don't know how much you get paid, but I know it's it's nowhere near what the public perception is unless you're, I don't know, you just, you just land a big break, Is that, if it, that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I think it's what's really interesting, you know, it's kind of like we talked about, alluded to a little bit earlier. We view sports through the lens of what we see on TV. Right. Marketing so, media. Yeah, exactly. And so a majority of people do think that, um, you know, because yeah, you are a professional athlete, that you are a millionaire, that you're rich. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna lie and say that I, I don't have a little bit of affluence, but I'm also not, you know, <laughs> running around dropping, you know, $20,000 a sure. weekend. If I did right. that, I, you know, I'd probably be a little bit nervous about some things. Um, you know, so it's, there is a different perspective on it. Um, but it, it, not, you know, again, it, it's kind of one of those things you just kind of learn. It kind of just comes with the nature, right? It's, uh, you know, people can only understand from their own, you know, their own lens of how they see things. And if, if their narrative or their belief is that everybody is, uh, you know, that's a professional athlete is a millionaire. You know, I, I think one of the, one of the best ways to, you know, for a lot of people to understand that is, I don't know if uh, you've ever seen it, but it's called the weight of gold. It's a production. It actually started off as a book that Michael Phelps wrote and it actually has turned into a, you know, a documentary. I, I don't know what, um, huh, interesting facilitation company put it together, but, uh, but it's called the weight of gold. And for anybody that hasn't seen it, I would suggest you watch it, it because it, it, you know, without, without oversharing some of the stories that are talked about there on it, the generalization of it is, you know, the, the ups and downs that athletes go through, you know, you're, when you're on top of the world and you're one of the best players, everybody loves you. And if you have a rough season or a rough, you know, couple weeks, the media is so quick and not just, you know, you know, again, it is on ESPN or different things like that, but it is so quick to happen. You know, your team sometimes turns on you or different and it happens fast and it can be really hard. And, you know, the pressure that you go through, it can be really tough. And a lot of the guys or girls that were on there really talk about the ups and downs. And they talk about actually that question that you just asked is, you know, the perception that everybody says, Oh, well, you know, you're an Olympic athlete or you're a professional athlete, you know, you're rich and whatever. And you so got it's like, this, you could take you care it. of us, take care of us. We were yeah. there for you. Yeah. Just give us some yeah. money. Mm-hmm. 
or the other thing is that comes with that too is if if you and I, you know, if you and I are both athletes and we go into a meeting with somebody to say that they're maybe interested in um, you know, offering a sponsorship or a partnership to us. And I say, yeah, I'm a professional athlete. And you say, well, you know, I'm an amateur, but I think I have the opportunity to become a professional. Most businesses or different programs are going to give it to the person that is on their way up, not only for a marketing perspective, but also because the perception is that that person's already rich, the professional athlete, when Mm -hmm. in reality, that's not necessarily always the case. And so they talk about that in the weight of gold. And I mean, I've experienced that myself. You know, I've right. had, uh, <laughs> I've had a couple opportunities where I'm like, oh, I would have loved to have been involved in that. Oh, well, we didn't think you'd want to because you know, well, you already have money. You're place. already well, made and you've made it. it. Exactly. And it's like, well, you know, fair enough. Like I, I do appreciate it, but it's like at the same point, my career is only going to go for as long as I did. And after I'm done with that, I'm going to need something to, you know, continue with. So and, you know, again, it, you can't be frustrated with people. They, they only know what they know and they're living from their perspective. But it, it, it is interesting to see. And I do think the narrative is starting to change a lot more because social media has shed the light on. You know, again, you talked about earlier with the, the article that you know, discussed on with, with baseball salaries and, you know, kind of minor leagues and things like that. And, and uh, for anybody that knows what's going on in the, in the major league or in the, the, you know, Major League Baseball Association, the the strike right now. I mean, a large majority of that is based on compensation for work. I mean, there's a lot of guys that, you know, play minor league baseball um, in the United States that are in some of the lower tiers that are barely getting paid, uh, you know, minimum wage or under minimum wage. And, uh, you know, there's ways that, you know, those teams will pay out money and guys are getting, you know, maybe say you sign a contract and I've seen it, you know, up close and personal, not, you know, I've been, I've been, fortunate to not go through it myself, but I, you know, I, I saw a couple of guys where, you know, maybe they're getting, you know, 800, you know, 800 bucks and their, you know, their rent is included and all that kind of stuff. But then what's it funny is, you know, then they get their, they get their check at the end of the month and it's less than $200 and they're going, what? And when the rent is included, all of a sudden it's a, you know, there's a little fine writing in there saying that the rent is included in the, you know, the, them living there, but it's coming out of their paycheck. So instead of them receiving right. $800, they're losing, you know, they're losing the 200 for rent and then they're losing hundred bucks every two weeks for, you know, locker room facilitation and stuff so that their uniforms look great. Cause I mean, most, most professional teams, you have guys washing your uniforms, cleaning your cleats, you know, making sure that you know you have fresh tape and stuff so that you do look great. But the thing is, you're not, that stuff doesn't come for free. That guy's got to get paid somehow. And most organizations you pay locker room fees, which I've never met anybody that's complained about locker locker room fees because you know those guys are incredibly valuable. I mean, they you know they keep your equipment up top shape and you know they make sure that your uniforms look good so that you look good when you go out. And but it is a major factor that you know that that money comes from somewhere and those guys pay for it. So you know you know you have some guys are paying a hundred, some guys are paying twenty five. It just depends on the contract you sign. So it is um, you know again it's coming from somewhere and. Uh, that's one of the things, you know, that's kind of like one of those, like, as we said, it's, it's a traditional game. There's a lot of unwritten codes and unwritten rules. And one of the biggest things was it's like, you just, you know, shut up and play because if you talk about it, they'll let you go. Cause there's, you know, 10,000 other guys that want your spot. And so it's kind of tough. But shitty, I do think, mm-hmm. Right. That's a shitty way to go, but you're right. It's like, okay, well, there's a bunch of other people just willing to, to fill it in. And I mean, baseball prints its own money. You know, I don't know how it's doing mm-hmm. compared to the other professional sports, at least here in the in the states. But I have to 
like most of them have profit sharing. I would assume the MLB is the same. Yeah. Yeah. So they can afford, yeah. like, you don't have to pay because I was earlier, you, you had mentioned that some of these teams have, you know, six to eight and then there's, there's different tiers. I was, my mind was blown. I thought everybody had like one or two, right. But mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to give everyone, you know, 10,000 bucks a month. But you have, you know, if they're going to be in your system, they have to at least, you know, be able to make some sort of a living, not necessarily live off it because it's not 365 anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's, and I think that's one of the, you know, things. And I always, you know, again, when I was younger, it's always so easy to say, oh man, I would, you know, I'd play professional. I, I remember I being around free. guys that said it. Well, yeah, you know, or man, I would do it for a bucket of baseballs or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, some guys are doing it. And you're like, what? Right. Like, you know, because you just look at it, it's like, you know, you see it glamorized. I mean, for anybody that's seen the show Entourage, right? Like they talk about it in Entourage. You know, it's a very glamorous life, but that kind of, that show kind of alludes into, obviously that's, you know, film industry, but a lot of what they touch on there is like, when you're when when you're hitting highs, like you're way up there. I mean, you know, if you're a male, you have girls coming at you from all over the place, and if you're a female, you have guys coming at you from all over the place. And if you're, you know, you can get into clubs and you can get into these exclusive parties and you can do different things like that. But when then when you are on a low, it is a low, like it, and that stuff does does not exist. Like it's gone quick. And you know, for for baseball players again, like or just athletes in general, it's the same thing. It's maybe, you know, you're not on a movie screen in front of, you know, 250 million people or whatever the number might be, but, you know, you do have followings and you have uh, influence and things like that. And so one thing, you know, kind of around the the money or kind of the perception, like we talked about, I do think it is huge. The one, again, there are a lot of positives, but the one positive around sports with social media is that it has shed light on some of the garbage that has been happening for a long time. Because I mean, I, you know, I had the benefit of playing for quite a few amazing coaches and different things in various spots and have had conversations with guys who were top draft picks or, you know, were guys that, you know, did have an opportunity to have a cup of coffee in the MLB or, you know, guys that uh, had been shuffled around or guys that had been a part of trades and different things like that. And to hear some of the stories that these guys went through in the 80s, 90s now, yeah, I'm going, oh, wow. Like, I know what I've experienced and that was, that was tough. You know, I mean, for example, I, I won't say where, but, um, one of the teams that I was on, you know, we were living in a two bedroom apartment and there's six guys. And so you have two guys in each room and then you have two guys living in the living room. And, uh, no, I, I wasn't there for long that, you know, for myself, I was fortunate that that was kind of just a pit stop. I was only there for a handful of games and then I, I was out of there, but some of those guys, you know, that was, that was their last stop or because they just couldn't do it anymore. You know, they went over it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, some of those guys were awesomely talented guys or, you know, an example, you get down to winter ball in Puerto Rico and we're down there and winter ball was awesome. You know, again, can't complain. You're down there, especially for myself coming from, you know, Canada and knowing what the winters are like here, you know, I'm down there down there playing and, you know, living on a tropical island and going surfing or swimming every day. And I'm eating, you know, along the beach every day and stuff. And it was amazing. But for myself, like that wasn't my last stop Whereas some of those guys, some of those teams that sent them there, they knew that that was their last stop. And so, you know, it was kind of tough to watch. I mean, 
you know, you're seeing guys almost fade away like the sunset over the ocean. It's like, this is their last hurrah. And so that was kind of tough to see too. But, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's belly of the beast, right? And when you sign up for it, you kind of know, maybe don't know the whole ins and outs, but, uh, like I said earlier too, the guys that aren't able to kind of wade through it, they get, uh, they get phased out pretty quick. Zach Johnson, recent resurgence on social media. How can people follow the adventures of Zach Johnson? This boy can rake. <laughs> um, I appreciate that. Uh, for, for myself, follow on, uh, follow on Instagram. Uh, the, uh, it's ZJ seven. So Z E D J A Y seven on Instagram, not too active on Facebook. I, I kind of just have it as a placeholder to, be able to communicate with some of the people that I've met around the world. Um, other than that, uh, the podcast is the limitless possibilities podcast and, uh, that will be starting up here soon. And I, yeah, I'd maybe pop in and do maybe a one drink Wednesday here with Jay again and, uh, be able to be able to be a little bit more prevalent with it. I think. Awesome. Thanks Zach. Good. Uh, finally getting My you pleasure. on the pod. We'll have to do it again. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Jay, for having me on. I, uh, appreciate it. I mean, a little bit, but uh, didn't feel like it at all. Enjoy conversing and kind of answering the conversation that you're uh, you're asking for. So I appreciate having you on. Thank you very much. I want to thank Zach Johnson for spending some time with me on the phone. Again, the connection was crap. Don't know if I really agree with the Fortune 500 comparison and people's lack of knowledge of professional baseball and what it means to be a professional baseball player outside of just Major League Baseball. I don't know. What do you guys think? Hardparkingpodcast at gmail.com. Questions, comments, or concerns. Next episode, we're going to jump into some car news. Still working on booking a lot of guests that I've promised you in the past. Just, I look up and the time just, it's like, man, I have a few guests that I stay in contact with on social media, future guests, and I've been talking to them about joining the show or coming on the show for over a year. And it's not anything with avoidance, just like Zach Johnson said. It's just it's just one of those weird timing things. So I'm working on getting my life straight. Also, hard parking logo is under redesign. Same great show, same great conversations, same great me. But you'll know it when you see it. It's, it's nice. One thing, right Honda, right Toyota, Scottsdale, Arizona. Think four wheel online and cell shop wireless services. Can't forget Kuya Automotive out of Winter Garden, Florida as well. Sent me this little, uh, I bought this little mini C32 motor, which is the NSX motor from the car that I sold. I'm gonna do a video on that. I need to get, do a lot more videos. Special thanks to Mark Stoneman, Catherine Cox, Eddie Ramos, Richard Graves, Byron Jones, Bo Junk, Alex Gumina. They are my patrons. If you're interested in joining the Patreon and being a financial supporter of the show, go to patreon.com forward slash forward slash hard parking podcast. You can email the show. Oh my God. Give me a, you can email the show, hardparkingpodcast at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at jfinning. That's J-H-A-E-P-F-E-N-N-I-N-G. Join the Hard Parking Violations Facebook page. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, man. It's Hard Parking Media. Go to YouTube, look at Hard Parking Media. Find me. Hit subscribe. Hit the bell notification icon. Watch a video or 50. I can't grow without you telling the world how great this show is. Let's do this. Let's grow this thing together. We'll talk to you all next week. Hey, it's Black History Month. Now it's stripping time. Shut up!